our men's conferences coming up, the Manly Man Conference, uh, next month, about a month out, uh, August 3rd and 4th. Uh, it's a great time. Uh, it starts on a Friday night. Uh, Jimmy Bratcher and the Blues Band is going to be with us again. That's cool. The music rocks. We dig that, and then we have some great speaking, and then a world-class comedian comes and makes us laugh our heads off. It's great fun. The next morning, we have other sessions. Then in the afternoon, we take off. We've got different activities, uh, golfing, you know, this, that, and the other. We're doing some uh, charter fishing off of the Great Lakes. Uh, a lot of fun that we're going to be doing. And then uh, we wrap it up on uh, su uh, Saturday night, and then, uh, and then we're done. So it's a great time. I want to encourage you guys to come out. Just hang out with a bunch of other guys, talking about guy stuff, guy problems, guy things in a manly sort of way. Now, I do have one thing I want to rant about just for a minute. So look at your neighbor and say, stay calm. <laughs> He's gonna rant, this is what he does. He's a ranter, all right? <laughs> now, for the last couple of years, our women's conference does basically the same thing. And they have their activities. One of the activities they have had over the last couple of years has been the wine tasting event. Where all the lovely winos of our church go out and taste wine. <laughs> and just have a good time hanging out with the other ladies. <laughs> no, they're not winos. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I never hear a boo about it. And I certainly never hear complaints from other churches outside of our church. Uh, this year, one of the things that we're doing is the men is, are having a beer tasting event. Because we're men. And this just doesn't happen by itself. We've got to work at it. All right. Now, when the word got out, we're having a beer tasting event. All the cycles started coming out. And all mad and having a fit over the beer. Now, part of this is one of the main reasons we have these men's events in the first place. Is to help men feel validated for being men and teaching them to be the kind of men God wants them to be. But a lot of this reaction is part of what I consider the feminist playbook. Not that everything about them is bad, but this whole idea of treating men with such disrespect. Apparently, women can be trusted to drink wine. There's no problem there. But as soon as men have beer, everybody gets all crazy, because you can't trust men. Men can't behave themselves. Men are out of control. Men are just a notch above a pig and a cow. And it is disrespectful. And it's disrespectful to men, and it's disrespectful to the God who made men. The Bible says that God's grace has appeared to all men, giving them the ability to live self-controlled lives. That's what happens to us on the inside when the Spirit of God is in us. When we act like men cannot control themselves, it is insulting to God and it's insulting to men. And we will not tolerate it. Now, I'm not really yelling at you. I'm yelling at most of the people outside the church. Most of our church is 80% ex-Catholics. Y'all don't have a problem in this area. <laughs> 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 but there's a few evangelicals that snuck in here and some of you have a problem with it. But just, just relax, for heaven's sakes. And we wonder why churches like ours don't attract more men. 
You know, Christianity is the only major religion in the world that has more women that attend it than men. And half the men that attend it only attend because some woman drug them there. <laughs> well, how the heck did that happen? It's outrageous. Islam does not have this problem. Judaism does not have this problem. Buddhism does not have this problem. It's unique to American Christianity. We've so girlified the church and so disrespect men that we're like, oh, what the heck of men don't want to come? I can't imagine. <laughs> For heaven's sakes. Greg Stubbe was here last week talking about Islam being the fastest growing religion in the world exponentially. And one of the reasons they grow so fast is one of their main tenets is they treat men with respect. Which, by the way, is the same thing the Bible teaches. We don't pay too much attention to the Bible. We just like to be Christians without the Bible. It's nonsense, it's insulting, and we will not tolerate it. If you don't like it, boo-hoo. For heaven's sakes. And it's not much in here. It's mostly people outside the church. We've been getting phone calls and emails from other pastors of these little tiny churches. Can't imagine why they're little. <laughs> Good grief. One guy says, I'm, I'm just not comfortable bringing my men to a Christian event where alcohol is present. I said, well, you sure would have hated the Last Supper. <laughs> uh, they would have got us, all right, I'm out of here, I'm out of here. For heaven's sakes. But again, it's from this playbook. Men can't be trusted. You can't have men. Men can't do anything. You guys remember the first men's event we... Some, again, it's not our churches, these outside, because, you know, outside churches come to this event all over the place. Some guys were, were upset because we had women at the event serving back there. Do you remember that? And they said, so what's your problem? Well, you got women here. So, well, it might cost some men to lust. Seriously! <laughs> Apparently, we should have had you all in burkas and we'd have been fine. <laughs> And we had one church group had a fit because there were some guys smoking out there. Well, some guys, they smoke. Booty stinking who? Well, they're not smoking. They're smoking. I said, they're smokers. They just had a fit. How come you let people smoke? I said, why not? The Bible doesn't say you can't smoke. There's no verse in the Bible that says, he who smokes in the now shall surely smoke in the hereafter. <laughs> should you smoke? I mean, seriously. Have you not gotten the memo on this one? I mean, this is bad for you. But you got a habit you can't kick or you're dumb enough to smoke? Then why do I care? Just don't do it in here. So what are we going to say? You can't come because you smoke? Is that our message? Well, a lot of people would have hated being around Jesus, a lot of Christians. You know, they gave, because Jesus hung around sinners. He did. He hung around with Guys, because he, he, they said they hung around with drunkards, with women of ill repute, tax cheats, and it drove them crazy. And Jesus said, look, it's not the healthy who need a physician, it's the sick. We're the only hospital in the world that you've got to be healthy before you come in. <laughs> what well, isn't the point of having a hospital? Is you get sick people. Have you ever been to a hospital? 
The problem with hospitals is they're full of sick people. You ever been to an ER? A lot of sick people there. That's kind of the point. You bring people in. <laughs> you guys remember a speed limit guy? And you guys, yeah. <laughs> there was one year we had some guy, he was having a fit. He raised his hand and said, yeah, he said, you got to tell guys to drive the speed limit. The most important thing is they drive the speed limit. I said, seriously, dude, I'm just trying to get him to quit looking at porn. You're worried about the speed limit? <laughs> speed limit, me guy. We eventually had to tell him to shut up and sit down. So the next day, he's out there golfing with our guys, cursing a blue streak. God, this and F that. Every time he'd swing, he'd just curse it. Apparently, it's okay to use God's name in vain. But he'll never drive 56. <laughs> what the heck? This is Phariseeism. We're going to get into the Pharisees as we get into, as we start reading, once we get past this. <laughs> the Sermon on the Mount, which is taking forever. But Jesus was really tough on the Pharisees. Do you know why? Because they would focus on things that don't matter and ignore things that did. It's Phariseeism. So anyway... It is what it is. Look, we're not trying to insult. Look, it's not obligatory. Nobody has to taste the beer. There's a small group of guys, they want to do beer tasting. Oh, fine, it's fine, it's fine. Someone said, well, why are you allowing beer tasting? Because they wouldn't let me do what I wanted to do. I wanted to put a beer tent up. <laughs> I did. Ask him. You can't do a beer tent. You can't do it. Well, next time I'm putting one up. Right next to the cigar tent. I don't care. <laughs> For heaven's sake, if nobody wants to come, don't come. It's a free country. I'm not going to placate to a bunch of small-minded guys who freak out over stuff. Seriously. I just don't care. I don't care what people think about me. Is there anything about this that says I care what people think? <laughs> It's not about being mean or cruel or disrespectful. It's just, I believe that godly men can get together and act in a godly way. Even if there's beer present. Even if there's huh, women present. <laughs> We're not the Taliban, for heaven's sakes. Does that not like some of the tal Taliban? I promise you at a Taliban convention, there's no women and there's no beer. This is not who we are. Just You want to empower men? You got to treat them with respect. Well, what if somebody acts badly? Then we'll deal with it. But you treat them with respect. It's one of the reasons men aren't being the kind of men they should be today, because for the last 75 years, a culture has convinced us that men are morons, that they're incapable of behaving, that they're incapable of thinking, Everybody loves Raymond, you know, uh, 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 dumb guys. Uh, uh. If it weren't for women, men would just spontaneously combust. Uh, uh. <laughs> My wife says that's kind of true. But, uh, <laughs> redheads. Anyway, we can't keep doing it, and we're not going to do that. We treat men with respect here. We believe men, godly men, who are filled with the Spirit of God, can control themselves. Amen. Amen. That's what the Bible teaches. So.
I know a lot of Christian women, they really get upset about some of these things. You know, because the Bible's very clear how a woman should treat her husband. You know what's sad? You go to almost any Christian man today, ask him who is the one person who treats him with more disrespect than any other human being on the face of the earth. Overwhelmingly, you'll hear the answer, my wife. It's inappropriate. It's not right. Now, someone will say, well, women don't always feel so loved by their husbands. Oh, great. So we're all messed up. Let's stop the cycle. Let's be respectful and kind and considerate towards each other. You're not going to get the best out of a man by criticizing him and whining and nagging. All right? Be respectful. I know it's hard. All right. Now I got to preach. I'm all upset now I can't preach. <laughs> okay, okay, moving on. Matthew, the sixth chapter. By the way, if you disagree with me, just get in line. Okay, it's fine. The Bible does not say you cannot drink. It says you should not get drunk. Of course, then there's this line of thinking, well, and you hear this from some evangelical people. Well, when the Bible says wine, it meant grape juice. No, it didn't. <laughs> then why would the Bible say don't get drunk with wine? How much grape juice do you got to drink before you get drunk? For heaven's sakes. <laughs> and don't forget, Jesus' very first miracle was to turn water into wine. <coughs> well, it was grape juice. It was not grape juice. Because the Bible said when they tasted it, they went, whoa, this is the good stuff. <laughs> you don't say that about grape juice. <laughs> Nobody's ever taken a drink of Welch's and go, well, that's some really good stuff right there. You know what I'm saying? It just doesn't make any sense. And to add insult to your thinking, when he turned water to wine, he did it by the gallons. It was gallons of it. One big thing after another. Presto change, it was all wine. Okay, now I'll preach. Matthew, the sixth chapter, verse 24. This is where we left off. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount. It's taking forever, but it will speed up dramatically once we get through here. It's just that he keeps saying these really dramatic statements with no clarifications at all. So we got to delve into it. We left off here. Matthew 24, 6. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's his statement. You cannot serve God, both God and money. This is a problem that we have uh, today. People would never say they're serving money, but in a sense, it's what they do. All their energy, all their concerns, everything, their priority is always about money, and the kingdom of God and the concerns of God are secondary. And Jesus said, look, you, you can't play this game. You either serve God or money. Now, we all need money. He understands we need money. Everybody's got to deal with it. Money, money, money. Okay, we all got to have money. But we need to be careful that we don't get so consumed by it. And... We've got to quit creating narcissistic little monsters called children who we put the greatest priority in their mind is money, money. You gotta make money, career, 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 career. Do you know, studies have shown that churches, Bible-believing churches, which are these, we're the guys who take the Bible fairly literally here, okay? We, we take it, we believe it says what it says, it means what it says, and it doesn't mean some counter-wired, we're thinking, we're not talking. 
you know, O-line churches. We're talking Bible-believing churches. They say 80% of the children raised in Bible-believing churches today, by the time they hit their second year in college, completely give up on their faith. They don't believe in the virgin birth. They don't believe in anything. It's one of the main reasons we recite the Apostles' Creed every Sunday. We drill it into them. One thing got to hand it to the Catholics and everybody else. Boy, they drill you. <laughs> you know, da -da 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 -da. at least they get it into them. And we need a little drilling ourselves. That's why we do some of these things, to get these Christian principles into their heads. But are you kidding? 80% are falling away. We can't even pass our faith on to our own kids. And they're all wondering why. One of the reasons why is it's a parental problem. It's not a kid problem. It's a parental problem. And we have told them the most important thing, most Christian parents that I talk to, and I try not to talk to them because I get mad, is the biggest priority in the child's kids. Go to school. Get an education. Got to have a career. Got to make money. Money, 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 money. And then we're shocked when they do exactly what we told them and they really could care less about God. Christian parents who threaten their young, don't you get married too young, we don't want you to, don't you, because you got to get money and everything first. So the chance of even having young people who are virgins when they get married today is almost an impossibility. Creating a whole generation of young men that are porn addicts. Christians, I'm talking about Christians. Because we so worship it, the God of money, that it's the highest priority. We need to rethink what we're doing. We need to stop it. I told you a few weeks ago, or a month ago, before I left, that one of the things we're going to start advocating in the church here, and it'll take years to get through to most of you, but that we're going to start teaching our young people in this church, talking to you parents, trying to encourage them as soon as they get out of school, high school, do not run off to college the next year. Take one year and serve God somewhere. Take one year there's all kinds of opportunities, inner city, around the country, South America, Europe, all kinds of places, Africa, where you can go spend three, six, eight, nine months serving other people, putting the kingdom of God first, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, building housing for those who don't have it. I'm telling you, it will change their lives forever. Those of us who've had young people do it have seen the dramatic change in it. Sadly, most people don't do it. We go to church, we sing our songs, la la la, we go to youth group, la la la, but the major priority is money, 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 career, 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 money, and by the time they turn 28, They've become the narcissistic, little self-centered people that we created them out to be. Look, they got to have their careers. We get it. But one year will not make any difference in any of that. It will, however, make a dramatic difference in them. Where they actually spend time serving other people. Where they actually spend nine months not playing video games. And not doing everything they want to do every five seconds. <laughs> And not being so concerned about what everybody else thinks about them. And getting a chance to live out their faith in a practical way. And it is something we are going to stress and encourage. It's obligatory. I mean, no one has to do it. Uh, you know, but uh, hopefully, I would love to see where at some point, the vast majority of the kids growing up in this church, before they go to college, take one year and serve God and then come back and go to school. I'm telling you, it'll make a difference. They'll be less likely to run off to college and want to get, you know, drunk and have sex with somebody they don't know. 
because they get a chance to really live out their faith. When you get to really experience it, because then it becomes theirs, you see. But you have to understand, to a great degree, they're living out your faith when they're under your house. What you got to do is give them an opportunity where they can live it out for themselves, where it becomes real to them, where they can see God show up and answer their prayers and really do something. You say, well, how much will it cost? Well, it'll cost you a fraction of sending the kid to college. If nothing else, it'll give you another year to save <laughs> for them. It's not very expensive. Going to these places doesn't cost hardly anything. Uh, and uh, we'll have some great organizations that you get a chance to look at. Okay, so continuing on. So he says, you can't serve God and money. And then he says, therefore, I tell you. And then look what he says. Do not worry about your life. Now he starts talking about money. And it's amazing because you're thinking, okay, now he's going to yell at people. Give more money. Give more money. He doesn't do that. He doesn't even talk about how much to give. He goes to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem really isn't what we think it is. It's not selfishness, although there's some selfishness involved. It's not those kinds of things. The root of the problem is fear. The reason people won't let go of what they have is because they're afraid to let go of what they have. And Jesus knew if he could shut off the fear, they'll become generous and it will change them. So he says, you can't serve God in money. Therefore, do not worry about your life. What you'll eat or drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or sow away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And then he says this amazing thing. He says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? What he says, you can't change anything anyway. Worrying and rehearsing, this is going to happen, and that's going to be happening. And some of you, I know you just struggle with fear. What if I lose my job? What if the economy gets worse? And, and what do I do for my retirement? Why do I? <laughs> and you just live in this constant state of fear and paranoia, and it eats at you. Everything you do or mostly don't do in life is primarily because you're driven by fear. I'd love to do this, but I'm afraid. I'd love to take flying lessons on it, but I'm afraid. I'd love to go scuba diving, but I'm afraid. I'd love to start my own business someday, but I'm afraid. I mean, their whole life, they're constantly living out in their mind stuff that never happens anyway. And then life is over and life's passed them by. I've given this an analogy many times, but life is quick. Think of the last 20 years of your life. How fast did it seem to go? Just like that. You know, for most of us in this room, we only have like two or three of those left. You're dead. That's how fast it goes. It all goes that fast. Ask people who are a lot older than you. It gets worse. <laughs> the only time life is slow is when you're in sixth grade <laughs> and you're staring at the clock and the second hand's going... I mean, it's like for an eternity, and you can't wait for summer to come, and everything takes forever. It really speeds up from there. <laughs> Life goes fast. The older you get, the faster it goes. I'm convinced the reason old people walk so slow is not that they can't walk, because everything's moving so fast. <laughs> Slow down! Slow down! Good heavens! You know, don't 
burn your whole life. Restricted by fear of what's probably never going to happen to you anyway. And look, there's a lot of stuff that you fear you can't control. If the economy tanks, there's nothing you can do about it. If this, that, and the other happens, there's nothing you can do about it. Jesus said, why are you worrying about these things? And he says, why? Verse 8, 28, why do you worry about your clothes? See the flowers of the field, how they grow. They don't labor or spin yet. I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And stop and think about this. That's the struggle, it's faith. And he doesn't just yell at them to have more faith. He gets to the core. Quit worrying. Because fear is the opposite of faith. You want more faith? Yeah, I want more faith. How do I get more faith? Stop being afraid. Don't focus on your faith. Stop being afraid. Because it's the anti-faith. If you can quiet your fears, your faith starts to soar. So do not worry, he says, verse 31. Saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Look, the pagans run after all these things. <laughs> and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But, he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. He says, tomorrow will worry about itself. And he says this incredibly brilliant statement. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Have you noticed this? Are you aware each day has enough grief? <laughs> Just by, apparently, people don't have enough grief today that they've got to add to their current grief by worrying about grief that may or may not ever come. Don't do it. Well, what's going to happen? I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. There's a God who knows. He's not freaking out this morning. He's not looking at your life going, oh, myself, what are we going to do? <laughs> he's not worried. He, he's bigger than any of your problems. He's bigger than the economy. He's bigger than our politicians, crazy though they may be. He's bigger than all that stuff. He's God. Our hope and our trust is in him. If there's anything we should have learned by now is that you really can't trust anything else. You can't trust the politicians, Republican or Democrat. You can't trust the banks. <laughs> you can't trust Wall Street. You can't trust anything. Oh, I'm going to trust my 401k. Yeah, how did that work out for you? Now, this is about half of what it was. I mean, you can't trust, you can't put your hope and trust in these things. That's why it's important to put our hope and trust in God. And what he's trying to say is that the key to being generous with your money is to stop worrying so much about your life. Learn to let go and let God. Because if you can just let go, the things that you're so rehearsing in your mind about, just let it go. Trust God. We have enough problems today. Jesus said, worry about today. Tomorrow can worry about itself. The main reason people don't give more money in their lives to church or to anything else is not because they're bad people. It's not because they're evil. It's not because they're such selfish little rats. They're afraid. Let's learn to calm our fears and to trust our God.